Thanks to Handy for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Handy is a cleaning service that provides an easy and convenient way to book home cleaning on a schedule that works for you. To get your first three hour cleaning for $39 when you sign up for a plan, visit handy.com/fool and use the promo code FOOL during checkout. It's Wednesday, August 8th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me in studio, David Kretzman and Aaron Bush. Happy Wednesday, gents. Hey, yo. Happy Wednesday. I feel like we could go for a good 45 minutes with the amount of news that is happening today. There are more, and I think I said this to each of you, more companies reporting earnings today than I originally thought. This was a barrage today. It was a barrage. I was totally caught off guard. Yes. So, Walt Disney, CVS Health, just two of the companies reporting earnings that we will not be talking about today, because we got a lot of other things to get to, uh, including Match Group, Camping World. We got to talk about what's going on at Papa John's. But really, what we got to talk about is the story that broke yesterday, about two hours after we were done taping Tuesday's episode of Market Foolery, and that is Tesla. And for those who may have missed it, uh, Elon Musk went on Twitter on Tuesday afternoon. And posted a tweet saying that he was thinking about taking the company private at a market cap of $420 billion. Funding secured. Funding secured. That's the direct quote. Funding secured. $420. Not a, not a, not a market cap of $420. 400, oh, 420 a share. There you yeah, go. There Thank you. Go. you. See? <laughs> See, this is what happens when I drink water in the studio and not coffee. At four hundred twenty a share, we and, got you. We got and, you. And at the time, uh, you know, it was trading for three fifty-five a share, something like that. Or yeah, roughly. or so. Now it's around three seventy-ish. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so let, there are a few things to get to here. Um, first, uh, Aaron, I'll just start with you. When you saw this yesterday. What was the first thing that you thought? Just what was your in the moment reaction when you saw that he posted this? I mean, I thought it was a joke. <laughs> um, a very illegal joke. Yeah. I mean, this is not really the type of thing that you see many CEOs tweet about. Normally, this is the type of thing that goes through more formal channels. But, you know, Elon's tweet game has been strong lately. So um, it's not totally surprising. But I think it's still a question of how much of this. Is shenanigans and how much of it can investors really count on? Because the price isn't four hundred twenty dollars now. Even though he stated that he would like to take the company private at four twenty, we're still fifty dollars away from that. So the market's definitely pricing in a lot of skepticism, which I think is fair. David, what was your thought when you saw it? It was the same thing. I wasn't sure if it was serious or a joke. Some people were thinking, "Oh, the price." Four hundred twenty dollars. It must be a weed joke. Four twenty, and I know I've been delving into cannabis a lot lately, so I appreciated the the subtle nuances of that. If it was a joke, but um, no. And for any brand new listeners, he's referring to cannabis stocks that he's been dabbling. Right, right, right. Okay, yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Thank you for that, Chris. I appreciate. Just wanted to clear that up. That is why you are the host. (laughs) But um, yeah, and it's also just a matter matter of like like Aaron mentioned, we really haven't seen any executive. Make an announcement like this on Twitter, and it wasn't really even an announcement. It seemed more like a speculation, or oh, you know, this is a possibility. I'm thinking about it. By the way, we have funding for this, and it moved the stock dramatically. I think at one point it was up over 10 percent before shares were halted for 45 minutes or an hour, and then we started to get uh, more statements from the company. Elon had uh, written a letter to employees, just kind of walking through his rationale. So. It'll be interesting to see what the SEC does because I think 
the, the idea that a CEO can go onto Twitter and make a market-moving announcement like this, and in this case, burning a lot of people who were selling the stock short or really betting against the stock, the SEC might have some issues with that, particularly if there actually wasn't anything to back up what Elon Musk was saying. Because the idea that a CEO can just go onto Twitter, say something, move the stock 10%, burn the shorts, and w- without having anything to back it up, that's, that's a scary thought. Yeah, the funding secured. Uh, those two words are powerful. Um, and then later in the day, Tesla, after Shizra Halted, came out with a press release, uh, and it said there were no details about funding whatsoever. So I think that's a big question mark. So, not that big banks on Wall Street are the only place that companies can secure funding, but CNBC tweeted out later in the day that they had worked their network of contacts at all the big banks. Every one of the big banks said, "No, it's not us. We're not." You know, so not to say he hasn't gone elsewhere potentially to find this funding. Um, but I want to go back to the legality that uh, you raised, David, because this is something that we have seen before. And I know there were some people who were on Twitter saying, "Well, you know, what's the big deal? It's a public forum. It's a free public forum. Anyone can get it." But we have seen this precedent before, back in 2012, when Reed Hastings went onto Facebook. And posted material information, essentially sharing his thinking about Facebook. The SEC investigated that, ultimately cleared Hastings, but made it very clear that if CEOs of public companies are going to use social media to share material information, they need to make sure that shareholders know ahead of time that it's coming. So I think that the SEC probably will have some questions about this, and they may end up. Making the exact same point, but it's you know ultimately saying, look, it's fine if you want to go ahead and do this, but you need to give everyone a heads up that you're going to do this. Yeah, and that, that's really what didn't happen. Uh, the announcement came on Twitter, and then it was a couple hours later that the the letter that he had written to employees came out, and he started to kind of expand on his thoughts on Twitter, like replying to different people, like going through his thinking. And then this morning we got uh, an announcement from. Uh, a few members of the board saying that, yeah, Elon had brought this up last week, and now we're looking into it. And Chris, you mentioned that I don't think that you didn't think all members of the board were on that announcement, which is interesting. Maybe there's a split on the board of directors, or I, I don't know what's going on there. There's still so many question marks here. But like Aaron mentioned, the fact that the stock is still trading at a discount to the $420 potential buyout price shows that, no, there's still some skepticism that this will actually go through. Yeah, I don't have an issue with news breaking on Twitter. I think increasingly that's going to happen and probably should be embraced. But it was more just how casually he went about it, and then shares were halted, and then a press release came out. Like it was just poorly, like that's just not how it should be done. So let's bring it back to the stock. Mm-hmm. I guess the question we are left with is how serious do we think he is about taking this company private? And keeping in mind that on the most recent earnings conference call, he talked about how profitability is just around the corner and presumably everything's going to be sunshine and rainbows after that, at least in terms of you know, the, the actual money making part of this business. Um, do we think he's serious about this? And if so, don't we think he could get to 420? 
don't you think that there's someone out there who would give him the money to help make this work? And if that's the case, I realize I'm loading in a couple of ifs here, which is always a dangerous thing when you when when your investing thesis involves more than one if. But if that's the case, why shouldn't I pick up a couple of shares, figuring, well, oh, I'm just gonna you know make a little, what's the off the top of my head, maybe 15% here, 10, 15%. How serious do we think he is about this? I think he's very serious. Uh, I would recommend anyone who hasn't already take a look at the letter that he did write to employees. And toward the bottom of it, he basically said that he's trying to accomplish an outcome where Tesla can operate at its best, be free of the short-term thinking. Which, let's be frank, like so much of the the conversation about Tesla is dominated by where they'll be in a week from now, or a month from now, a quarter from now, and that's probably not the the way for Tesla to operate at its best. Obviously, Elon Musk is someone who thinks ultra long term compared to virtually every other CEO or leader out there. And he also highlighted that the fact that SpaceX has been private all these years has really been to their benefit, and that operationally, SpaceX is in a much better place than Tesla. And he thinks being private is at least some sort of um, contributor there. So I think going forward, for Tesla to maximize its long-term potential, I think he sees being private, uh, kind of bringing the company there, uh, is making that more likely than remaining public. So I think it's likely. Uh, the, the company has already raised a lot of debt from uh, various providers. They have over $11 billion in net debt. So companies haven't been shy to lend Tesla money up to this point. Uh, for a deal of this size, I think you're looking at over $80 billion. So you're talking about a substantial load of debt if you're doing some sort of buyout. But I think it's likely. And I mean, what, yesterday Saudi Arabia invested, uh, what, $2 billion or so into Tesla? So I think Elon's the type of person who would be able to convince people to raise that amount of money. I I think that could be true. I do think that that is a lot of money, and so I I do think there maybe is more risk there of not being able to raise all of it, which also could pose issues to what price you get taken private at. Um, I do think it's incredibly important for Elon to continue maintaining the narrative, and I think being public has made that very difficult. Um, and through maintaining the narrative is how you get better terms for debt. For just what term, like the interest rates on debt and that type of thing, um, so going private could ease some of that concern and and spark more focus. But I do think there still are very big question marks about even if Tesla were to go public, would it be at the terms that were first thrown out? Um, I'm not convinced that's going to be the case. One thing that is also interesting here is that Elon mentioned that if they do indeed go this route of being private, he would want to. Enable it where people could either sell their shares at whatever premium the buyout happens at. Like he, he thinks it's four hundred twenty dollars, but I agree with Aaron that's not certainly not a done deal. But he also wants to enable existing Tesla shareholders to remain shareholders in the private company. So that's just an interesting twist. So if you wanted to, you could hold your Tesla shares. They obviously wouldn't be as liquid. You'd probably be able to sell or buy every six or 12 months. Uh, so, just something to think about if you are a Tesla shareholder and this does actually play out. The stock of the day is Match Group, which is the parent company of Tinder and Match.com, among others. Uh, second quarter profits from Match Group came in higher than expected, and they raised guidance for the current quarter and the full fiscal year. 
That's a hell of a report, Aaron. Funding secured, Chris. Funding, <laughs> That's all we need to say. Stock up 20% today, <laughs> funding secured. Uh, no, I mean, seriously, as it turns out, when you're the top dog by a mile in an industry that's only growing more relevant, you can make a lot of money. Um, and I mean, revenue grew 36%, 27% growth in subscribers, um, 8% uptick in average revenue per user. These are things that even a few years ago, most people would have been incredibly skeptical that this even could be a sustainable business. But now, here they are, crushing expectations. Um, and this is also a business that's very scalable, too. Um, I think people have been critical of their inevitably low retention rates, which um, have led to some um, shorting and skepticism from others out there. But it turns out when you have a huge audience, um, that's not as much of an issue. And if you can convert those people into subscribers at a decent rate, which they are doing, then you can start generating cash more quickly and in a higher quantity than other people think. And just even over the past year, uh, operating margins rose from 27% to 36%, which is making pretty great progress. And this quarter, free cash flow popped 65% over the past year. And I see little reason uh, to believe that trajectory is going to go away, even when others like Facebook are weighing in. It's very clear that Match is number one. Yeah, and the stock is up over 30% since early May when Facebook announced that it was considering launching its own dating service. So that knee-jerk reaction where Match was down 10 or 15% just on that the speculation that Facebook might enter the category. I think those fears have kind of uh, <laughs> reversed a bit now, and I think rightfully so. Like Aaron mentioned, uh, you're seeing incredible subscriber growth of 27%. And then they're also seeing average revenue per user growing both in North America and especially internationally, but across the board, average revenue per user up 8%. So when you have strong growth in subscribers and the average revenue per user or subscriber. That's just a great combination and a really solid tailwind. So, I think that, like Aaron mentioned, the economics of the business are poised to become more attractive, especially because I think today, especially with the younger generation, the stigma of online dating is gone. If anything, it's reversed, where it's kind of weird if you're single and not on <laughs> Tinder or one of these apps. It's just become so ubiquitous and matched by far as a dominant player. And Aaron, is international where the growth is likely to come from Match Group? Because it seems like, at least here in the US, you look at all the different brands they have under their umbrella. It's very impressive, but it's hard for me to imagine that there are, at least in terms of whether it's organic growth or acquisitions, that there are the types of opportunities here in the US that there will be in other countries. I do think international growth is probably going to be the powerhouse for growing the number of users, but I think there's still a huge opportunity to make more money per user, and I think that opportunity domestically is still fairly untapped. Second quarter profits for Camping World came in lower than expected, so did the revenue, and when you look at the stock, David, it's uh Close to a 52-week low. How much? How much of a world of hurt is Camping World in right now? Well, that's the thing. When you actually look at the progress the company is making, they're actually on a pretty good track. They sold a record number of RVs this quarter. They're on pace for a record year of RVs sold in 2018. They're continuing to see strong growth with their towable units, which were up 14%. They're seeing a lot of younger buyers who aren't waiting until retirement to hit the road, but rather starting with some of these less expensive units that you can just you know trail 
hook up with a you know trailer uh, on your existing vehicle. But I think the issue here is that they continue to make some acquisitions to grow their their store base, uh, and that's causing operating expenses to grow at a faster pace than revenue. So you're seeing continued pressure on margins, and I think at this point, it's really almost a jockey play. The CEO Marcus Lemonis, he's kind of a TV star, if you will, on CNBC. He has a show, The Profit, where he works with small businesses. I really personally like his approach to retail and working with people, kind of a conscious capitalist type of person. And I think he has a proven track record in the category. But at this point, the company is relying on um, on debt to make acquisitions, buy stores, and it, in the short term, that does hurt margins because you're hiring more people, you're buying more inventory. But if you're someone who believes in the vision of Marcus Lemonis and his track record, then I would think this might be a compelling opportunity for investors today. It might be another six to twelve months of some subpar quarters when it comes to profitability. But I mean, revenue was up 13% this quarter. They actually raised revenue guidance for the rest of the year. And if you're a shareholder or a prospective shareholder, you're really just betting that the strategy that Marcus Lemonis has outlined makes sense. But if you don't really believe in Lemonis or his strategy of you know acquiring uh, mom-and-pop RV retailers or um, just other retailers out there and lumping them into the Camping World brand, then you probably want to stay away from the stock. To me, it seems mostly like short-termism, um, in the sense that they did miss revenue and EPS estimates this quarter, even though results were strong. Um, they did lower their adjusted EBITDA outlook for the next year or so, um, but that's as a result of them reinvesting in what should very clearly Produce more profits later, um, but it still is a bit of a, a head scratcher to me. Just over the past couple of years, in 2017, the the stock was on a tear. There was a lot of optimism, and then this past year, it's been the exact opposite of that. But if you look at the results, it's just been steady performance. I don't know, David. Like, what am I missing? Like, is, is there like <laughs> like are there other reasons out there besides just? RV sales that people are worried about. I think the issue is last year the company acquired um, the Gander Outdoors brand, or formerly Gander Mountain brand, and they they kept about sixty locations of Gander Outdoors open. And I think the the market and investors were trying to figure out the rationale there, and obviously that led to a huge uptick in inventory and then pre-opening expenses as you're renovating the stores and hiring people to to fill those stores and support customers there. But Lamonis has basically said that that was a way for the company to accelerate its expansion into states where RV sales are huge. So those are states like Wisconsin, Minnesota, Texas, and six others where um, they they represent some of the top RV states in terms of sales. So it's a way for them to accelerate that, bring people into their Good Sam Club membership, which is kind of like AAA for RVs. So you get RV support services, maintenance, insurance, things like that. So it's a way for them to build. The file and eventually sell more RVs. But up to this point, like Aaron mentioned, you're still in that investment mode. So margins are being pressured. Cash flow isn't really all that impressive right now. But in the meantime, RV sales are at record heights. Camping World is really the only national RV retailer. So if you believe in those tailwinds toward RVs, boating, and just people getting outdoors in general, which has been a trend we've seen for several years, then I think you got to look 
beyond just one or two quarters with Camping World, because the way Lamonis is positioning the company is to really become the dominant RV and outdoor gear and retailer brand in the U.S. But it'll take some uh, some investments along the way. A quick last question on Lamonis. I mean, if he's the number one reason to buy this stock in your mind, then what is the danger of him leaving? Or or being sort of distracted. I mean, if he he's got this CNBC gig at some point, like has he has he been asked about this? Has he come out and said, "Oh yeah, no, I'm committed to this. This is my number one priority." Because it sounds like, for as well as this business has done over the last few years, at least if I'm listening to you correctly, it sounds like if he decides next month I'm going to leave, then this is less of a bull case for you. Yeah, if he left, then I would be more concerned, especially because the company is relying on debt to make these acquisitions, and especially the Gander Outdoors acquisition. Right now, they're sitting on $1.8 billion in net debt, so it is substantial. So that does amp the risk. Lamonis does own, I think, over half the company now through a holding company, so he has by far the vast majority of his net worth in Camping World. So I think the likelihood of him leaving is minimal, but certainly if he did take a step back or leave altogether, I would definitely uh, see that as a risk. So, in terms of the debt, would you say that the funding is secured? I hope so. I sure hope so. <laughs> RV sales are going up. So, 420. Yep. <laughs> Quick shout out to Handy. Over 3 million cleanings done, and all of Handy's services are backed by the Handy Happiness Guarantee. If you're not satisfied with the quality of service, then Handy will send another pro at no charge for your next booking. To get it right, you can book home cleanings on your schedule right from the app or their website. Tell Handy the number of bedrooms and bathrooms in your home and pick the time and date that you would like your home clean, and then they'll match you with one of their top rated pros. Or you can read real customer reviews and select the pro that you would like to hire. With Handy's clear upfront pricing, what you see is what you pay. And you can pay securely on the app, no need to worry about cash or checks. The booking process is simple. Uh, I went through this uh, earlier this week. Professional came to my home. He was early. He asked me a couple of questions, got right to work, and uh, in no time, the place was clean. And I got the credit. So that's, you know, in my house, that's a good thing. Um, so get your first three hour cleaning for $39 when you sign up for a plan. Visit handy.com slash fool and use the promo code fool during checkout. Recurring charge terms and conditions apply, which are outlined on the site. That's handy.com slash fool. Use the promo code fool to get your first three hour cleaning for $39. Papa John's second quarter results. We're kind of a mess. Uh, they missed on the top line and the bottom line. Um, and adding to the drama and the spectacle of Papa John's is the fact that the founder and namesake, John Schnatter himself, who is no longer the CEO, is on the sidelines just ripping the current CEO, who he worked with for years and was essentially his protege. And this stock is down more than 50% in the last 12 months. And for the life of me, I can't think of a time when an established, mature restaurant stock fell that much in a year, and it didn't involve some sort of health crisis. Yeah, this is uh, pretty ugly, and it'll probably get uglier uh, going forward. I mean, North America same store sales were down six percent, uh, and in July alone, after Schnatter's uh, comments, um, same store sales were down ten and a half percent. So this is just. Brutal. This is almost Chipotle E. coli oh. levels from a few years ago. And yeah, there are just so many issues here. Like on the conference call, Steve Ritchie, the 
new CEO for for the company became CEO officially in January. He you know he outlined some different initiatives they're doing with like digital and their loyalty program and even stuff to really keep franchisees on board, potentially uh, giving them some kickbacks or relaxing uh, royalty agreements, which apparently is something that really only happens in recessions. So the fact that they're doing that demonstrates that you know they're they're get, potentially getting a little desperate here. And then from a financial perspective. Free cash flow was actually up this quarter, but the company last year made the brilliant move to go into more debt to buy back stock. So, an interesting thing here in the most recent quarter, the company bought back $5.4 million in shares, which is the least amount of stock they've bought back since the first quarter of 2011, even though the stock is basically the lowest you know, it's been in the past three to five years. But so, only $5.5 million in stock bought back. In the most recent quarter, when the share price is really the lowest it's been in a while, in the past few quarters they bought back well over two hundred million dollars in shares. So, from a capital allocation perspective, now the company is swimming in debt. Potentially, will have to renegotiate that. Uh, management was saying, "Yeah, we might have some, you know, preemptive discussions with our <laughs> with our lenders." Um, so, the, the company is really they they've backed themselves into a corner here. You have a ton of debt. You have just such a bizarre scenario where you have your founder and former CEO John Schnatter on the sidelines ripping the company and, and, and still the biggest shareholder. Yeah, he owns thirty percent. So Jeez. I, I don't know where you go from here. I think their best option would be to try to find some sort of uh, private buyer. But in this case, I don't think funding is secured <laughs> for, for uh, Papa John's. But yeah, this is just such an ugly uh, scenario for a company that a couple years ago was actually doing pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible. <laughs> it blows my mind a little bit. I mean, I think the risk, apart from just consumers not wanting to associate their pizza buying habits with Papa John's, is that franchisees also don't want to associate their business with Papa John's. And the franchisees are really the lifeblood of what keeps this business going. Um, and if I were a franchisee looking for for like a new restaurant to franchise with, like how would I ever be thinking about Papa John's as a good idea right now? And if they can't get the franchising element improved, then that's that's crippling for them. I mean, apart from that, I mean they really just need someone to step in and right size the culture and the the ship of things. I don't know much about the current CEO, but if if Papa John owns thirty percent of this business, I see that as Sort of impossible. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I mean, we can we can think about ways to right size this business, but ultimately, Schneider's the one who's got to buy into this because he's got thirty percent. You would think that at some point, since the value of his company has dropped so much in such a short amount of time, you would think he would maybe think, okay, whatever it takes, if that includes. Selling the company, rebranding it completely, because I don't think I don't think a culture fix alone is going to do it. I really do think it will take a total makeover. Um, and I was thinking about it this morning, uh, coming into work. That one of the things that's good to have in life, and I would argue important to have, whether it's business or just your life in general, we all need that person in our life who can pull us aside at a given moment and say, "Hey, look, I know you don't want to hear this, but..." We all need that person in our life, whether it's a friend or a spouse or a family member. 
Schnatter needs that friend right now. I don't know if he has that friend, but he like someone needs to go to him and say, I know you don't want to hear this, but the only way your net worth is going to start heading north instead of south is for you to walk away from this and to back whatever plan it takes to make this company over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the the press release he put out after the company reported earnings yesterday, he he made it very clear I'm not going anywhere, oh. and I, I'm going to keep doing what I I feel like is best for the future of the company and employees and shareholders. And what's interesting too is that he was blasting Steve Ritchie, the new CEO, for the the company's performance since mid 2016, which is when it started to turn south, and they've been underperforming compared to Domino's for a while, but frankly, every restaurant is, so um, that, that's not the best comparison. But he, he, Schnatter, if I'm not mistaken, he actually had the CEO title all the way through until January 2018, yeah. when uh, Steve Ritchie took over. So, he can't just totally you know, offload all the blame onto Richie and the management team, because, I mean, he was still chairman, he was still CEO, if, if nothing else, by title, uh, over the past couple of years. So, he, he still needs to take uh, some of the blame. But, yeah, going forward, I think you need to find someone who's willing to, to buy this. But I don't know who would be at this point. It's such a tarnished brand. Well, and to go back to what you were saying about the franchisees, Aaron, I mean, if you're, if you're someone who's looking to get into the restaurant business, why would you go to this? By the same token, if you're an investor looking at this stock, it's dropped this much. The market cap is like 1.2 billion. This company is so tiny now. So I can imagine a few investors out there going, "Gosh, this thing's cheap," and the fix is theoretically easy because it's a pizza company. This is not a complicated business. This is not nanotechnology we're talking about here. But I don't know. I this this stock still screams stay away. I think he needs to pull a Martha Stewart and just commit. Go to a, prison? Yeah, go to prison. And then <laughs> once he's gone, like there, there will be something there. But maybe that's too much. Might be, that <laughs> might be what you need there. Yeah. What's your go to on pizza? Not necessarily like brand, but just sort of like when you're thinking toppings, what are you, what are you, what are you going for? As much as I can. <laughs> yeah. Load it up. Multiple. Uh, I'm I'm a green peppers, black olives type of guy. Okay. Yeah. And you're a gluten free person. I am too. Is there a place around here that that does good gluten? More places are offering that, so yeah. I have to assume it's getting better. Uh, in Old Town, we have Faccia Luna, which yep. is great. Uh, yeah, their gluten free pizza is one of the best I've ever had, actually. So that that's always my go to. Nice. Um, I'm not as young as you, Aaron, so I can't. I would like to be as much as possible, but you know, meat. Just in general, some kind of meat on the pizza would be good. Let's bring, let's bring in producer Dan Boyd real quick on this one. Hey, Dan, uh, I know you're a fan of pizza, um, not necessarily Papa John's. Uh, what's what's your go-to when it comes to ordering pizza? Um, you mean toppings or like toppings? Toppings. Uh, L- let me let me let me let me give you two here. Uh, left to your own devices, and then but now it's now that you're engaged, maybe there's a different answer when it's when it's you and your left love. to my own devices is very dangerous. <laughs> I'll usually go with pineapple, jalapeno, and like roasted garlic if they have it. That sounds really good. Nice. Uh, when I have to compromise, I never get to do anything as well as that. <laughs> that's that's what compromise is. Compromise is. Um, all right, Aaron Bush, David Kretzman, guys, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>